What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Notch Podcast. I am Dan Valley, coming at you this time with my super-duper esteemed, incredibly awesome, times awesome, absolutely spectacular co-host, Andy Bailey. Who wow, is, that, was, that was like an avalanche of superlatives. Continue. I, I had to get them all in because you weren't here last week when we did our two pods. And um, two things, I'm happy to see that you survived um, your law school finals, even though it sounds like you might be a little bit worse for wear. We were talking about (laughs) um, off the air, how you lost your voice mid-radio spot earlier today. And two, in your absence, I don't know if you realize this because I'm sure you listened, but I I had two attorneys on, um, Grant Hughes, attorney, but also a writer for Bleacher Report, a colleague of mine for the better part of a decade at this point. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. And then we had Cole Zewicker, um, co-founder and writer for The Stepian, who is also uh, an attorney. And I didn't plan it that way, but it was I was doing the intro with Cole, and I realized I was like, oh, crap, like Andy's out because of law school. And I just brought on two <laughs> like active attorneys. And I thought that that was I don't know. I just I thought that was very good synergy between me and the reason that you were absent. Absolutely. I also have a over the shout outs at the end of the podcast. 
What's that? I also have a bone to pick with you over the end of the podcast shout outs. Oh, but I don't. I have no idea what you're talking about, so we're going to move on. Um, before we get started, I just want to remind everyone to please rate, subscribe, and review us on iTunes. You have no idea how much that helps us out, how much we appreciate it. Andy and I have a dream that we will one day soon get to 100 ratings and or reviews on iTunes, and we're the better part of halfway there, and we want to thank everyone who's done it. But if you can take the 10 to 15 seconds uh, to just go on and – and hit those five stars and maybe submit a review if you're feeling kind of spunky. We would be forever um, in your debt, and I, I speak for the two of us when I, when I say that. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, all-star rosters since the voting kicks off on December 21st, um, just a couple days from when we're recording this. And Andy and I will eventually have a draft later on this year where we each pick our own rosters, but we're going to wait until you know the representatives and everything are set. Um, like the NBA, we won't be televising the draft because we apparently hate fun just as much as the NBA. Um, but I did want to start with today, uh, Adrian Wozniarowski over at ESPN.com published what seems to be like this annual, like, let's check in with Anthony Davis and the Pelicans piece about where they're at. And um, I'm just going to He also pull... likes to check in with the Celtics a lot. Um, yes, the Celtics. And then there's also, <laughs> it seems like the Giannis Antetokounmpo Bucks thing is like yeah. sort of a, a trend now. So Woj writes, Davis remains an obsession of several NBA teams full of the necessary trade assets to unfasten him from New Orleans should the Pelicans ever consider a rebuild or should Davis ever request a trade. Boston has remained vigilant on the possibility of acquiring Davis, and Davis knows it. However, the Pelicans have no intention of trading an all-world talent under contract through 2021, no matter the return. Um, what that essentially means is that unless Davis requests a trade, the, the Pelicans don't seem like they're going to move toward uh, even discussing it at the moment. But Davis did say this um, to Woj. He told me that Boston was calling, but nothing was going to happen, Davis said. And this is him going to approach Dell Demps about the Celtics trade rumors. At the same time, Davis continued, though you see, you see how organizations treat players. Isaiah Thomas, DeMarcus Cousins told me that the Kings told him that he wasn't going to get traded, but then they traded him. Isaiah took his team to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they traded him. It makes you wonder, does this organization really have my back? I've been loyal to this organization. I love it here. I love this team. I think we're moving in the, in the right direction. DeMarcus? Rondo, some of the other players that are helping us, but people get judged on winning, and I want to win. So before, I'm just going to throw it to you really quick, but before I, before I do, I just want to say it's hysterical to me that the primary threat everyone believes to acquire Davis from the Pelicans is a team that he kind of throws shade at because they traded Isaiah Thomas after he got them to the Eastern Conference Finals. So speaking of whether an organization has your back, you might end up playing for that organization. It's just... I, I, you can't make this stuff up, so that's just really funny to me. Yeah, that is pretty funny. I'm also, I also think it's interesting that he's kind of like projecting the shortcomings of the Celtics and the Kings onto the team he's currently on. To it's it's definitely an interesting situation, and I don't you think they'd be more likely to trade Cousins than Anthony Davis? Like if it came to it, they they like Woj says in the piece, they've got him under contract through 2021. I, I don't see what the rush would be. Well, there's none. And the thing is, is that you said before we were recording that like to get to the money needed to, to send Davis to the Celtics under the cap rules, you laid out Tatum, Jalen Brown, Aaron Baines. And I think you had Morris in there too. Yeah. So the, the if you don't, and that's a lot of young talent, but is it like 
potentially a top five player like Anthony Davis is. I, I just don't, I don't think it's an impending sort of thing right now. No, and it's so I believe he has a player option before 2020, 2021, right? So uh, you have effectively not only this season, but next season to kind of play through before you have to worry about that. And I get yeah. that there's. And the, the returns will still be there if you wait a couple of years. Right. I Unless get, he gets like terribly injured. Which, you know, you, you can't necessarily. Oh, and it, yeah, and you can't necessarily discount it. If. And Mason Ginsburg uh, over at Bourbon Street Shots has, has basically said, he told us this on the season preview pod, if DeMarcus Cousins leaves and you're not able to make subsequent moves in free agency this summer, maybe that's when you look at it just because, in theory, you are going to get a lot more money uh, or, excuse me, a, a lot better of a return for a superstar that has two years left on his deal before free agency as opposed to just one. But Yeah, that's true. When we're talking about Anthony Davis, who's a top-five player, you're still going to get a ton for that one year and to have his bird rights and to have the ability to offer him more money than anybody else. I don't think that it would curtail offers specifically from a team like the Celtics very much. Where that becomes an issue probably is if we're talking about, and I'm just throwing these teams out there, I'm not saying any of them necessarily should go after Davis, but ones that aren't going to be necessarily confident in their ability to re-sign him. We saw it kind of with the Denver Nuggets and the Paul George rumors last year, or maybe the Phoenix Suns. Uh, That's probably why they didn't go all in on a Kyrie Irving trade as well. So you kind of, I guess, lose offers from that team. But I don't. this isn't something you consider, to me, before the middle of next season. And for, for me, I mean, if someone comes with a monster offer, and that's the question I want to ask you is, could you think of any offer right now that even get the Pelicans to even just think for like a minute? And you, you can munch on that while I'm going through this little ramble. But I, if, if the Celtics are considered the best trade partner, we just outlined, unless the Pelicans want to take back Al Horford, like there's, you have to give up way, like way too much um, or take on too many players and like it just becomes this mishmash. And I don't. If I'm the Pelicans, Al Horford's great, but he's over thirty, and he's owed almost sixty million dollars um, in the two years after this one, assuming he opts into the final year of his deal. That's not necessarily how you want to start your rebuild. He's going to add wins, so you're either looking at getting a third team involved. It just might be better for them to wait um, until, and it's better for the Celtics, in my opinion, because then maybe you don't have to give up Al Horford if you're going to be able to sign Marcus Smart to just. A, a more expensive deal this summer and you can use him as salary matching fodder. No, the Pelicans won't necessarily want him, but as long as the deal isn't ridiculous, you know, you can overpay him a lot for let's say two or three years and it's fine. Or you can give him a market levelish deal um, over four or three. And then that's like your salary matching right there. So, and that'll help you keep out Horford. And if I'm the Pelicans, you're probably more interested than that. I would think as well. So, I can't imagine this becoming a real issue unless Davis acts out um, before the middle of next year. Yeah, I can't really imagine it either. Like I said earlier, I the Celtics are interesting if they were willing to pony up all of those young assets like we laid out. And while you were talking, I thought, man, a Kyrie Irving, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Anthony Davis, Al Horford starting five, that's pretty crazy uh, for next season. And I, I have no uh, worries about Brad Stevens being able to like still have a workable bench, even with all that money devoted to the starting lineup. I, I'm convinced that he could turn like anybody into a rotation NBA player. So I think they would be fine depth-wise. I was also just kind of scanning 
the standings while you were talking, trying to think of anybody else who might be able to go get him. And I, the only other team that kind of makes sense to me is the Lakers. Like they might have a couple of the pieces necessary to go after a big name like that. And they actually have some salary filler too, especially like next season is some of those bad contracts age one more year. Um, you know, would New Orleans be interested in a deal that included like Ingram and salary filler and a first and I, I don't know, maybe one or two other young players. That's that's really the only other team I see that's even like a possibility right now. Yeah, I think that you could probably build something there. I don't know how the Pelicans would feel. Maybe if you're getting Kuzma and Brandon Ingram um, as part of that. Yeah, maybe, I, I almost said those two actually. Um, maybe you're not as worried about not having – because the pick can't convey until 2020. Uh, yeah. because th- there, there are other selections owed to Philly or Boston this year. But maybe if you're getting you know, Ingram and Kuzma as part of that deal with Filler, it, it works. Um, and then you're hoping if you're the Lakers, like maybe this is more attractive to LeBron now that we have Anthony Davis. I would, I, I would bet that. But then you're also losing because you're not getting rid of Luel Deng as part of this deal. That's what I was saying. Like It would have to be – Because Deng's got a couple years there. left. I was saying like – it would have to be a year or two from now, from now, for the Lakers, in my opinion, because then, then Dang and Mozgov's contracts are more movable, right? And so that's you know, I, right now their best offer would probably be if you include a first round pick with Clarkson, Ingram, and Kuzma. That's probably their best. You know, I, I don't know. That, Is that enough? No, uh, I'm, I'm not wise? saying to get the oh salary wise for Davis. Um, it should be. Um, I'm going to run it right now really quick. It is – no. So it would, you'd have to cut another three hundred grand from there. So, I mean, oh. you have you have Corey Brewer's expiring deal. Yeah, they, There's they Tyler could figure that out. You, you throw Larry, Larry Nance in there. Um, but I just don't – you know, but then you're you, – so, yes, you get rid of Clarks in there, um, but now all of a sudden you've lost all of your primary sweeteners to get rid of Dang's deal. So you're looking at stretching Dang, which is that's if again assuming the splash is the plan is to make a splash in free agency. So they would be a team. And but the other thing to consider too is like look at what the Pelicans are kind of left with if they trade Anthony Davis now. Like you have another four years left on that Drew Holiday contract, and and who's yeah, take, who's true. who's taking that? Like we're talking about it's like. A hundred. What does he have? A hundred and five million dollars left on it after this season. So, I, I just, it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit more than a hundred five million he has left after this season. So, I like that deal's not necessarily movable. Maybe it becomes a little bit more movable in a year uh, when there's only three. I, I honestly don't know. So, could would they? And the answer to me would be no. But like, do they kind of consider this like weirdo? straddling route where they're getting some future assets, but it's also kind of angled at, uh, it's almost like the Kyrie Irving return where you're trying to stay like relevant now and, and toe the line for the future. And I, I don't know what team would like really help them. Do I don't, that. I don't think they're anywhere near relevant now if they, well, I guess they still have cousins, right? I'm but... saying it's like the plan is to kind of rebuild around cousins maybe. I, but again, I don't know what team would, um, necessarily help them do that. He's. I have a feeling he wouldn't want to stay either if Davis was gone. Uh, I mean, I think for him, the the bird rights might like kind of matter though, just because yeah, that's was, true. He was supposed to get that like monster deal from the Kings that never came, and 
like to kind of have that dangled in front of you only to see it. Um, you know, I, I mean like, and I don't Here's know my that... last question on this. Um, if he did, let's say Davis did ask for a trade within like the next month, things just go horribly bad. Um, if you're the Pelicans, would you rather have Kuzma, Ingram, Clarkson, and Brewers expiring or the Celtics deal that you laid out before we started recording, which I think was Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Morris, and Aaron Baines. And I included the... Uh, and plus, like, yeah, there probably have to be picks for... I would think the them. Philly or the... Um, I mean, the, the Philly or the Lakers selection, I think, would have to be included. And I would rather have that package because it's more geared towards a rebuild. And I, I mean, depending on how you could still keep DeMarcus cousins in that scenario. And you're at least a deeper team, you know, yeah. like, um, I, the other thing that, and this is like, it's probably on the low end, but if we're talking about them, like trying to kind of straddle two timelines, like, do you build something with the bucks around Middleton, McCurr, Wilson, Brogdon, and there could probably be other stuff in there too. If you're looking at, if you want them to like take on a Jinsa, uh, they probably would, and maybe they can send you back like Toledovich or something, and you could hope that you hit on him if he's healthy. Uh, I don't, and they their pick like they have such wonky protections on this season's pick. Uh, so I, like your first round pick, it's if you got one from them, it's not going to be until well down the line. Would the Bucks consider that? I'm sure the Bucks would, but is that you know you would have to really believe in McCurr, you'd have to be kind of high on DJ Wilson, and you'd have to think that Middleton and Brogdon kind of help you remain relevant in the West now. And I, again, I think that that's on a low ball of the spectrum, but if you're looking to go th- that path where you, Hey, we don't, we don't want to hit completely reset because we have like, because think of, think of how hard it it will be for them because losing Davis in a vacuum sucks. But like now at this moment, you have two top 10, top 15, whatever you want to say about cousins guys and Davis and cousins to have two of them. And all of a sudden just pivot into this full tilt rebuild would absolutely suck. Yeah. It'll be tough for sure, but uh, I like you. I don't think it's. I don't think it's imminent. You don't think there's any deal like out. Like, could the Celtics deal get the Pelicans to think about it now? Like, it, I'm talking about like. Oh, I think quicker like, than a you know, or excuse me, not as quickly as saying no. Like they call and you hang up. Is there anything that could just even get them to remotely think about it right now? I actually think both of those Lakers and Celtics deals we laid out are, are semi interesting. I'd still say no if I was the Pelicans, unless he's pushing for a trade, but I, I, both of those packages have some really interesting young players. Do you know which team could become kind of relevant next year? I would think would be the Nuggets in an Anthony Davis sweepstakes. See, like, I, I'm just not like the Nuggets have tried so many different variations of like two big guys and one of them being Jokic. And it just, it never seems to click quite like Jokic and just a pure stretch four like Gallinari. I guess like, that's to fair. me, that was that was like, the most Davis. obvious. <laughs> I know that's true. Uh, like <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> um, I mean, Anthony Davis is obviously at a different level than Paul Millsap or Yusuf Nurkic, so that's that's very very fair. It, because like you have Gary Harris's extension, like kind of kicks in, um, and he he'll still be semi young, and that's you still have Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray could be dealt. Uh, yeah, um, Emmanuel Mudiay. It would be interesting. It would be Trey in- Lyles is rehabbing his trade value this year. Um, yeah, and it it would be interesting just because um, he would only have next year and the season after left on his deal. Yes, yes, he's old, but like you know, Paul Millsap. Like, let's bring him home. Uh, 
You know, he was he's born in Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah, I think he played for Louisiana Tech too. Yes, didn't he, he did. Same school as Malone. Um, so I mean, but that's like again, then you're all of a sudden like you're you're screwing over your draft odds. But uh, they would they would be a team I would think next year could get involved. You would probably they're someone who would have to. Maybe that's why you kind of they, they the Nuggets could use help now. But maybe like that's one of the reasons why you wouldn't. Uh, trade a pick this year because you might you'd probably have to give up knowing where you are two future first to get Davis. On the other hand, you have Paul Millsap with Jokic, and if you're yeah, not, and I'm still not ready to give up on that. And it's not even they, that. But it's like, to, they were starting to play better before Millsap got hurt, right? And it's not even that, but you're not the Pelicans probably aren't going to want Paul Millsap, and then you're not you don't want Paul Millsap, Davis, and Jokic on the same team. Like that just takes yeah, the whole. That's true. Um, so uh, I, it would be. I don't think it's going to happen this season i personally i think the celtics are the only team that could get the pelicans to maybe possibly think about it and the only way they think about it uh aside from obviously davis requesting out which i just i don't think that he would do maybe if cousins leaves and like that's just the final straw and maybe they've missed the playoffs or they just got destroyed in the first round this year maybe but the pelicans would have to have like kind of a good inkling that they don't think cousins is coming back or that they don't want him to come back before they'd consider anything right now. And I'm not even, I'm not entirely convinced that they would move him like before next season or, or like during next season. Like they just might decide to, we'll trade him like on a one year deal. The superstar market hasn't been uh, that great. Anyway, you look at what, uh, yes, the, I would say the Cavaliers did like pretty well for Irving, but it looks a little bit different now when the nets, um, that pick is slated to be 10th right now. Oh, excuse, yeah. yeah, around 10th right now. So that that trade looks a little different. The, the Timberwolves and the Bulls, that trade for Jimmy Butler still doesn't look fantastic, even with Chris Dunn breaking out and uh, Laurie Markkinen looking okay to have started the year before entering kind of a slump. So uh, I, would be, I wouldn't be shocked if they did it before the summer of 2019, but I do think that uh, they might, you know, it'd be easier for them to make a splash in the summer of 2019. So, like, let's say they can't replace DeMarcus Cousins this summer, which you have Drew Holiday on the books, you have Solomon Hill and Ashik on the books. Uh, there's more. You have a Jinsa for one more year. It's going to be a little bit harder. Fast forward to 2019, if you haven't taken on any big money after Cousins leaves, yes, that might have been a hard year, but maybe you're able to make um, kind of a splash in free agency then and figure out ways to get rid of Ashik, who will only have the one year left on his deal. Same with Solomon Hill and, and Etwan Moore. All those salaries become, although I think Moore is actually a good player, uh, but all those salaries become much easier to dump, and maybe that's when you make your splash. So I, I would... I would still lean, and just knowing how hard it is to get a top five player. I know you don't want to lose him for nothing, but to have someone like that and to trade him with more than a year left on his deal just kind of stings to me. Yep. Um, should we jump into All-Stars? Yeah, I think that's enough on the uh, Anthony Davis run. I didn't mean to burst the Celtics fans' bubbles. Imagine, <laughs> imagine their surprise when they found out that they can't trade their disabled player exception for Anthony Davis straight up because there's just oh, so they... many things illegal about that deal. They will. They wouldn't believe you, if you even if you told them. <laughs> um. So how do you? I, I guess we'll start with you. And do we want to start with? Uh, I'm going to leave it just completely up to you. We'll start with you, okay. and we'll go east or west, whatever you want to do. So, like you said, voting starts on December 21st. Um, are they going to mix east and west with this draft? I think isn't the eligible pool of players going to be even? For, it'll be even from both like conferences. It'll still and then you'll be, pick from, okay, yeah. Okay, that's kind of what I assumed. So we we will have twelve all stars from each conference. Um, let's start with no brainers from the West, and I am going to go 
I, I think the no-brainers in the Western Conference are James Harden, uh, Stephen Curry, and Kevin Durant, and I am going to leave it at that. I agree James Harden's a no-brainer. I agree Kevin Durant's a no-brainer. Stephen Curry, for me, I think he's a no-brainer when you're looking at specifically the fan vote. Um, how much time will he have missed, though, by that point? Uh, yeah, I guess if he doesn't come back before the All-Star break, it does get kind of... Well, not even that, but just like if he misses you know, like 15 games because of this uh, sprained right ankle, that's kind of an issue. I would put him... I mean, he's been fantastic. I would put he was him arguably like the... He was probably the third best player in the league before he got hurt, right? Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. So I would... If if he comes back on the the expected timeline where it's, he's supposed to be reevaluated, um, it was two weeks, and uh, now that should be down to uh, actually it's been two weeks, hasn't it? Isn't it like two weeks to the day, December nineteenth? That update that came uh, came on December fourth. So if if, if he's going to come it's back, there, yeah. uh, if he's going to come back soon, um, and we're going to get an update later today so this podcast will be outdated really quickly it looks like if he's going to come back soon relatively close to the timeline he's a no-brainer for me and i think even though people aren't talking about him anthony davis speaking of anthony yeah davis again, i i was gonna say he's he's probably a no-brainer too he's a no-brainer to enter the starters pool for me because it's just i mean can I, i'm just gonna read his his line this season 25.2 okay, uh, 25.2 points per game 10.6 rebounds 2.6 assists 1.1 steals uh, two blocks, 56.9% shooting, and a career-high 34.9% shooting from beyond the arc on 1.7 attempts per game, which isn't, like, incredible, uh, but it's still, you know, it's still a pretty big Something, deal. yeah. It's, like, right in line with his career. It ties his career-high per 36 minutes. He's at 1.8 per 36 minutes. He's done that twice before in each of the two previous seasons, actually. So it's just he's kind of keeping the same volume, and he's just hitting them at a clip that's closer to league average uh, he has been absolutely sensational and when you look at the pelicans numbers um with him on the court when cousins isn't playing they're actually a net plus per 100 possessions and cousins can't say the same without him so that i know people don't necessarily take on off numbers into account but he's been like cousins's lines i think look uh, a little bit more ridiculous sometimes in part because he's going to get you more assists but Davis is the most valuable player on this roster, and it's it's not even up for debate. Yeah, he's actually my fourth starter in addition to those three no-brainers that I have. Um, do you know what Kim Durant's done since Stephen Curry went down? I know that it's absolutely absurd, even including now, that kind of misfire fest he had versus the Lakers the other night. Yeah, so he was 10 of 29 against the Lakers, um, and his line is still... In five games post uh, Stephen Curry, 34.2 points, 10.4 rebounds, 7.4 assists, three blocks, 49.2% from the field, 41% from three, and 94.3% from the line. He's um, just unreal. Yeah, it's insane. The, the assist number is what really blows my mind. Seven and a half assists. Um, I mean, that line carried out over a whole season would be – that would be like – just slightly above a LeBron type of Ross outline. So that's he, – he's an obvious no-brainer to me. My fifth starter – Who's also this, my fifth starter, so we just might I as was, well loop that together. Okay. Uh, this is when I was a little torn about. Um, and I went with Cousins here too. 
first of all, it's like kind of weird to have two starters from a team that's 15 and 15. Um, but we've, we've talked about this on this podcast before. It's like those two are legitimately just amazing. It's, it's the supporting cast that's really, I, I think, making them a 500 team. And his, his like raw box score numbers are insane, too. He is averaging, let's see, 26 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, one and a half steals, and one and a half blocks. Um, and his true shooting, I was going to say his efficiency leaves a little bit to be desired, but it really doesn't because his true shooting is 58, which is, I mean, 60 is kind of the magic number, so he's right there. He's He's been unreal, I, I think. I have to give it to him despite um, despite them not being like a world beater as a team. Yeah, and I don't I, – playing in New Orleans, maybe it hurts just because that's such a tiny market. It's like I don't know what the 50% of the fan vote is going to look like. I don't know how popular he is among um, players, and he's certainly not popular among some media members. So just looking at – you know, factoring those in, I, I think that's where he's – I think the first four, unless Stephen Curry – is just not healthy or no-brainers, but he's kind of just the up in the air. But um, output alone, he, he's just been absolutely fantastic. And uh, his defense seems like it's kind of regressed from the point that it was at the start of the season where he seemed to be a little bit more engaged on a regular basis. But he's just been he's been all out great as well. And I, it, like you said, it would be weird. Such a The Pelicans are basically the definition of mediocrity at this point, and they're going to have two all-stars. But... Those guys are, they're, they're like, they're nuts. Like, they're absolutely nuts. Yeah, they've they have just been ridiculous this season. Um, all right, I'm going to give you my first reserve. I'm waiting for a search to pull up here. Okay. <laughs> this is even, this is even a little different than I expected. Um, <laughs> among players with 200 minutes played this season do you know who the top two are in win shares per 48 how many minutes entire nba 200 minutes actually let's go top three (laughs) i have no i honestly have no idea is 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 james harden one of them so top three in win shares per 40 yeah he is one um minimum 200 minutes number one in the league chris paul (laughs) number two in the league james harden number three in the league Clint Capella. The Rockets have just been like absolutely ridiculous. Isn't that insane? Um, long, I mean, it took me a while to get there, but my first reserve is Chris Paul. I know he missed a bunch of time. Um, he's only played 15 games now that I'm looking at this, but Houston is 15-0 and 0 in games that he started. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that he's only played 15 games, he's already 22nd in the NBA the entire league and wins over a replacement player, um, which is just, that's nutty. Uh, he's going to continue to climb that board as he continues to play games. His, uh, his raw stat line is 18 points, 9 assists, 5 rebounds, 2 steals, with a .632 true shooting percentage. Um, I think by the time we get to All-Star Weekend, I, the, the amount of games he's missed will matter a little bit less. Uh, the fact that he's already 22nd in a cumulative stat with all that time missed is just insane. So he's, uh, he's got to be uh, on the team for me. Right. And it helps that he's reserved. So like, it's, we're not trying to predict him as a starter. So he'll get hurt initially, like by the votes, just because when the voting opens, he's not going to have played that much. But yeah, by the time the coaches go to make their picks, um, 
Do you know what the Rockets' offensive rating is with Chris Paul on the floor for 472 minutes, which is not an insubstantial sample. Yeah, it's getting up there. It actually makes him, I think, their eighth most used player. So, you know, that's not insubstantial. Can you guess what their offensive rating is with him? Um, I feel like I checked this a few days ago. I'm going to say like 118. 120.4. <laughs> so I even undershot it. Um, I had him as well. So I will move on to my reserve, second reserve. Uh, I have Damian Lillard, who has been, I, I think, absolutely spectacular this year. I guess one of the knocks would be that the Blazers have not been that great on the offensive end. They ranked 20th in points scored per 100 possessions, but they're fifth in defensive uh, rating. They're fifth in points allowed per 100 possessions, and he plays a ton of minutes for them. His defense is picked up this year. It doesn't seem like he's dying on as many screens, and it seems like he's just a little bit smarter when he's leading guys um, into the paint. And I think it also helps, of course, that the conservative system that Terry Stotts runs is kind of like uh, player-friendly. Like if you can just – as long as you have guys who are going to like protect the rim – um, on the inside, and the, the Pelicans have carved, uh, excuse me, the Blazers, wow, have carved out enough of that for this season. Uh, I think that that's an, an incredibly big deal. And, you know, not for nothing, but they're probably closer to a league average offensive team when he's on the floor, uh, 104.2 points per 100 possessions. Again, nothing really spectacular, but it would put you, like, right around that 15th, 16th area, which if you're going to have an elite defense, fine. And he's just he's still Damian Lillard like on the offensive end, even though the rest of the team isn't. And I don't, that team doesn't really have a lot of offensive talent. You know, there's CJ McCollum is of course spectacular. It's really just those top two, honestly, offensively. And and he's, he's, you know, his three point percentage is down. His efficiency is down overall 42% from the field, 34.8% from three. But I mean, he's jacking 8.1 attempts per game, which uh, from three, which ties his career high. You don't like to see his effective field goal percentage dip, um, below 50, which it has for the first time in his career, but he's shooting over 92% uh, from the three-point line. You have to believe that his finishing around the rim will come up a little bit. He's always been kind of iffy around there, but 56.3% um, inside three feet is is low for him. Um, it's below his career average, and he's, he's shooting 28.6% um, from the corners where his a large share of his three-point attempts have never really come. Uh, there was a minute in like 2014, 2015 where he was getting more of those looks, but he's always shot the ball well from the corners, like on those limited opportunities. Just before this season alone, uh, he was well above 40% from the corners, and to have him kind of shooting uh, 28.6% from them now, there's just some things that feel like they'll normalize on the offensive end, and maybe they won't because the Blazers – they can shoot threes and they like they they're not like the league's worst three-point shooting team but at the same time they're just not you know they don't have a ton of these floor spacers so the fact that they're 20th in offensive rating and that uh Damian Lillard's raw numbers have kind of suffered just a little bit that doesn't really bother me particularly when I think he's been a lot better on the defensive end yeah he's my second guard too um I've actually done a little bit of research on Portland's offense in recent weeks because it is kind of weird that they're just I, I, I just expect them to be better. It feels like the Blazers have been good offensively for a few years. Um, a lot of it, at least from what I've found, is sort of tied to Yusuf Nurkic. Um, 
he's he's well below average for a guy his size in terms of efficiency, and he's using a decent amount of possessions. So when when Lillard is sharing the floor with Nurkic, it's um, it's nowhere near as pretty as it is when Lillard's on the floor without Nurkic. Um, just as sort of my first point, he is Lillard fifth in the NBA right now in uh, wins over replacement player. Um, I, I was going to mention sort of the dropped efficiency as well, but like you said, I, I agree with sort of all the caveats you laid out there. His raw numbers, 26 points, um, seven assists, five rebounds a game for a team that's comfortably in the playoffs right now. Um, I, I think the one knock on him has always been defense. And like you said, he's much improved there. So he's, he is also my second guard. Um, I'm going to jump to reserve forwards now. There's three reserve forwards as well. My first one is Jimmy Butler, who he took a little bit of time to sort of feel out what his role would be um, on this team. I think, thank goodness for the Timberwolves, he's kind of asserted himself more recently. I, there was, to me, no doubt when they first acquired him, that's that's Minnesota's best player now. I think it took a few games to sort of iron that out. Um but he's quietly pulled his averages up to 20 points, uh, six rebounds, five assists. His shooting numbers are, are – they started real cold, but he's starting to rehab that as well. He's inching closer and closer towards 60% true shooting. Um, as soon as they can maybe convince Andrew Wiggins to, to take like five fewer shots a game, I think Butler's numbers will climb even more. Uh, <laughs> he's um, – so this is another one that's kind of weird for me because I have I have Carl Anthony Towns in here too, and I don't know about having two Timberwolves, but I, I think he is the one that's more comfortably in for me, Butler. I would say by far. Um, and do you know what he's averaging over his last 14 games? He's actually also my pick for first reserve forward. So we've been in lockstep thus far, eight for eight. Yeah. Um, over his past 14 games, 24.1 points, 5.6 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 1.9 steals, 49.2% shooting, 37% shooting um, from three-point range. And that's just – I mean, that, that's just nuts. He's – Yeah. It seems like they – all of a sudden, I don't know if it was – and it was more than 14 games ago. I feel like maybe it was like 15 or 16 or whatever it really was. It's tough to pinpoint. Something just clicked, and it, it felt like the Timberwolves were – all of a sudden realizing that, oh, crap, Jimmy Butler's our best player. Yeah, it was like, okay, we've given you <laughs> – Jimmy was like, I've given you enough time to show me what you can do, Andrew Wiggins. Now it's it's definitely my team now. Yeah, and over – so like over their last 15 games, they're outscoring opponents by five uh, – excuse me, by 8.6 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. When he steps off, that they drop to a minus 22.9 points per 100 possessions. Wow, that's – that is like it's just absurd. That's how important he is to him. And like we've seen it in crunch time, where at the beginning of the year he wasn't particularly efficient, and this happened in the game against they were playing the Blazers on Monday night, I believe. And he just he just gets to the rim and like players just go for his like head fakes or his just drives, and he's drawing fouls like crazy, and he gets them almost on command. Like for that to happen, it was I don't know if you saw the picture of it I posted on Twitter, but he had yeah three, I did I. I... I was watching that game, too, when that happened. He had three Blazers just, like, not even just, like, kind of leave their feet. Like, Al Farouk Aminu was reaching for the rafters. And it was just, <laughs> Al Farouk Aminu is a good defender. But, like, you had three Blazers just, like, in the air crowded around you. Uh, he's been absolutely sensational. And I, I don't know, it kind of, 
I can't imagine, like, I'm not high on the Timberwolves. They're fifth um, in points scored per 100 possessions, but their shot profile is just god-awful. They're just, and even when you watch them, so, and this is the parallel I'll use. When I watch, when I look at the Pacers' offense on paper, there are some things that are, like, impressive, like what they do in transition, and they have a lot of guys shooting a really high percentage from threes, but, like, they don't seem to take enough threes. They they lead the league last time I checked, according to Cleaning the Glass, in long mid-range attempts. Like, they don't look good on paper, but then you watch them. And, like, the offense, like, oh, it kind of makes sense. Like, oh, DeMantis Sabonis is just going to pop out, and he's going to hit those 17-footers on command, so it's fine. I watched the Wolves, and it's the complete opposite. Like, yes, their offense, despite ranking fifth in offensive efficiency, does not uh, look great on paper when you look at their shot profile and things like that. And then I watched them, like, during the I'm like, no, nope, this still doesn't look good. So Yeah, it looks really clunky, that's for sure. So, I mean, Jim, and I don't know how long you're going to go with using him this much, but I think he has to be in. And he would, depending on how much people kind of wait recency, like if I was to pick someone who could get in over DeMarcus Cousins, it would probably be Jimmy Butler in the front court. If he keeps this up, like the play that you laid out over the last like 15 games between now and the All-Star game, I think that's that's very much in play. Um, my next one, I think this is where we're finally going to sort of take different paths. I have Carl Anthony Towns. I get the uh, issues with his defense. Um, There are times when he just looks like completely lost out there. And I I think that's valid and fair to put in the discussion. But um, he's averaging 21 a game, 12 rebounds, uh, shooting 38% from three, taking almost four threes a game. I mean, he's truly a stretch five. I, I just think what he does offensively is enough for me, um, to overcome the defensive shortcomings. Like I said, I was a little bit torn about putting two Wolves on the All-Star team. I know they're in the playoffs right now, and they're, they're actually the record better than I thought. Um, they're 18 and 13, so maybe I'm not as upset about this as I thought I was. But, um, yeah, he's my second forward, and I know we might have a little divergence of opinion here. Yeah, so I went with... Paul George, I can't, and I'm probably just, Carl Anthony Towns has been fantastic on the offensive end. Um, some of his counting stats are down, but like that happens when you look at just the personnel he's playing with. I, I can't overlook the defense. Like I know the All-Star, isn't necessarily, All-Star game isn't about defense. It's just so tough for me um, to overlook it. And I went with Paul George, who's controversial um, in, like by himself just because he's not, like he has not been particularly efficient from the field uh, in their win over Denver. Um, on Monday night, he went three of thirteen from the field, but he just seems like this is so. This is a situation that almost runs counter to what's going on in Minnesota. He's the Oklahoma City Thunder's best player, and they just haven't realized it yet. Um, and on some nights, it looks like they do. And if you remove kind of like that three of thirteen dud from the equation, he was he was playing like a little bit better over his last seven. Uh, Nineteen point nine points a game, five point one rebounds, three point six assists. 1.6 steals. He was still shooting 37.1% uh, overall, but he was, he was hitting 45.7% of his threes, getting the free throw line fairly frequently. I just, I'm, I'm a big Paul George believer. Leads the league in steals per game um, still as well. He's a big part of why the Thunder have the defensive identity that they do. And again, it, it just seems like they've yet to figure out the offensive dynamic and, I, I don't know. Like I feel Russell Westbrook might garner more consideration than him, and, and I'm just not for it. And it's 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 tough to overlook how bad the Thunder have been. I think I think you can argue they don't deserve an All Star. And if you just you know 
and, and some of the and if you they do deserve an all star, like if we're looking at the like if we're stepping back and looking at the macro view, like Russell Westbrook still just matters um, incredibly so to this team. You look at their last yeah, their their net rating is still way better when he's on the floor, right? And you look at look at their last fifteen games; they're minus five point two points per hundred possessions with Paul George on the floor, which is the worst mark um, of the big three or the OK three, whatever you want to call it. So it's and Russell Westbrook's the only one of them to be a net positive. So it's just, I just, I it's tough for me, and maybe it's a little bit irrational, but like watching Paul George on defense is still super fun, and he just he still has these nights um, where it just looks like to me if he could get a larger share of this offense, or maybe if the Thunder didn't go one ball dominator like too deep, you know, like that that win over the Timberwolves on December first, like where he has thirty six points and, and nine assists, like that's just. That's Paul George, and I, 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 there's an argument for Towns, and but I would just go with Paul George. And in part, I like, I tend to lean more towards players who can impact the game, even in a positive fashion, even when they're not making shots. And Paul George, for a lot of this season, has been that guy. But I'm, I'm very much aware that the Thunder, my, per, my perception of them, and I think everyone's perception of them, kind of just flip flops by the day. Yeah, this is probably my hottest take of this episode of the podcast and it might not even be that hot because I feel like a lot of people are talking about it and you just mentioned it. Um, I actually don't have a single Thunder player on the All-Star team. If I was like determined to put one in there, I think I would go with Paul George too. Um, the counting stats for Westbrook are awesome, but I, I think he is uh, maybe the biggest example of why you can't always trust <laughs> statistical systems and like catch-all metrics because when you watch him play um, – I don't know if there's anybody I've ever seen who's more visibly like stat chasing than he is. So, um, and I think he often does it to the detriment of his team. Now I, I say that <laughs> acknowledging the fact that they've been better with him on the floor all season, like I just mentioned. So, um, it's just like what I don't, I'm with you because it's what happened to like his free throw shooting. Like it's, I, it's just so some of the stuff is just so like even the, the things it's a weird that, that shouldn't for be, sure, yeah. yeah, that shouldn't be impacted by playing with George and Anthony, like the foul line. You're shooting seventy percent from the foul line. Like that's not that's not Westbrook. I mean, and and I still think this team can like figure it out. The other, I think, in their last win, Anthony had six shots, and they asked him about it after the game, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm fine with that as long as we win." Like if if they could get his shot distribution down to like maybe a ten or eleven, and um, Paul George is maybe taking like sixteen or seventeen, and I, I don't know how you convince Russell Westbrook to get down to 16 or 17, but if you can do that too, I, I think they'd play a little bit better offensively. But um, at the moment, like if I had to pick right now, I just I can't I can't put any of them in there. I think that's more than fair. Um, my um, next reserve, and it's it's kind of just because I think you need to have a member of the Spurs, but also because he's been ridiculously good. Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, 22.3 points per game, 8.4 rebounds, two assists. Uh, he's he's shooting forty nine point two percent from the field, thirty five point six percent from three on one point five attempts per game, which I believe ties a career high. It, it does. Uh, he's just been absolutely spectacular for the Spurs this season. And you look like at what their offense was before Kawhi Leonard came back, and it was they they climbed all the way to twelfth in offensive efficiency before his return. And like they are scoring on the season overall like a top five offense when LaMarcus Aldridge is on the floor. So for someone who hasn't been able to spend time with Kawhi Leonard much this season, and who's also, I mean, the Spurs have not been great offensively in the 48 minutes Kawhi Leonard has played this season. They're they're averaging under 90 points per 100 possessions. So like to, for him to still kind of like prop that up 
um, it was, and I actually screwed those numbers up because I was looking solely at the last 15 games, but it was still the, the Spurs were scoring like a top uh, six team when Aldridge was on the floor. So it's just like that's a big that's a big deal because he's feasting on on a lot of tough looks, um, like these just these like long fadeaways, and, and he's just still remains. I don't want to say an anomaly when you're looking at what we value um, in in analytics today, but he he's still someone you're comfortable with. Oh, you want to shoot from ten to sixteen feet? Go ahead. He's shooting forty point two percent between ten and sixteen feet, forty one point five percent between sixteen feet and the three point line. The, the dude has just been a machine, and whatever talk he had with Greg Popovich this year that led to the Spurs the giving him an extension, thing. like it's just it's working. And the last thing that I'll say that I've been like um, super impressed by is. And I like I feel like they haven't had a lot of time to hash this out, like even dating back to last year. But the chemistry between Lamarcus Aldridge and Tony Parker is just on point. They're just the Spurs are absolutely lethal when those two um, share the floor on the offensive end. So I just I like what he's doing for this team, and I don't know how you wouldn't put him in the All Star game because the Spurs need to be kind of um, celebrated for their body of work without Leonard to begin with. But also Aldridge has actually played like an All Star. Yeah, I have him too. Um... And I, I had like the exact same line teed up. Whatever whatever was uh, said in that conversation worked very well. I, I All I will add is this is, I think, objectively the best season of LaMarcus Aldridge's career, which is saying something for a guy who's already been to five All-Star games. Um, he's posting career highs in box plus minus, uh, win shares per 48 minutes, player efficiency rating, so like three – Big time catch alls. Uh, this is the second best true shooting percentage he's ever had. Um, the only one was better was his first year in San Antonio. So it's it's been a pretty ridiculous season for him. He's also posting his most points per minute. Um, he's averaging twenty four point one per thirty six. I'm really interested to see how the dynamic between him and Kawhi sort of unfolds uh, over the next couple of months. I don't. Impact on what he's doing right now, not enough to sort of knock him off my ballot. So he was um, one of my wild cards, but I had him on there. He's also on pace um, to generate more total points off assist than he has since 2013, 2014. That like bonkers season he had with the Blazers. So that's just like, that's another thing. Like I know you're playing for the Spurs, and maybe that that trend kind of goes down a little bit um, because Kawhi Leonard's back, but he's he's been a he's been a smarter passer overall, even though, I mean, you look at his per game assist numbers and they're like kind of in lockstep with last season and even his per minute numbers but it seems like he's just making smart decisions when it comes to finding guys who are beyond the arc all right so my next forward on the spot as we're recording i'm, I'm bumping draymond green from a wild card pick uh, up to my last forward spot he's another guy that's been hurt um but i still think what he does for for golden state cannot be Overstated. He's averaging 10 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds, uh, almost steals a block and a half a game. His his field goal percentage is up almost 4% this season. He's up to 45. His three-point percentage is still not quite league average, but 33 is enough to like make people go out there and guard you. Um, and that is, he's still, to me, just sort of the engine of that Warriors attack. I know you could certainly make an argument that that's Curry or <laughs> Durant, but... Um, he makes so much of what they do work. They're still, I think, the despite what Houston's doing, and it's it's truly insane what Houston is doing. I think I still think the Warriors are the best team in the league, and I I think he's a very much a part of that. So he is my uh, third and final reserve forward. 
Yeah, I don't think um, for front court. Yeah, I mean, I, I have him. Um, I also um, he's your was, was oh because did you have a wild card that I used or something? I, oh, Lamarcus Aldridge was your wild card. Okay, Aldridge and uh, I'll save my last wild card. So my wild card is Draymond Green. So that's where we're at because uh, I had him in too, just because I think Aldridge. I, I'm probably just like, oh, we have to recognize a member of the Spurs at this point. Um, he, Draymond Green has just been good, and he's he he gives he still gives the Warriors their identity on the the defensive end. He just he does so much. He's you know Kevin Durant has like these crazy rim protection numbers, but Draymond Green still um, contests a lot of shots around the iron. He's chasing people around the perimeter. He's a far better perimeter defender at this point than Kevin Durant is. Uh, I just it's it's hard. He's one of those players you don't. I, it's it's like just hard to quantify how much he means to this team. I, I'm still firmly in the camp that Golden, uh, Golden State is just made because of Curry, but on the defensive end, it's it's almost certainly because of Draymond Green. And quietly, like even though Golden State just has not been even a little bit interested for most of this season in defending in transition, now they're third in points allowed per 100 possessions, and like you know that's gonna throw. Uh, Green into the defensive player of the year conversation once again by default. He had the Warriors are allowing 99.6 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. Um, the best mark among starters not named Zaza Pachulia, which is spectacular. Uh, so it's just I don't and it's like you said if he's gonna shoot um, 33% or better from beyond the arc, like that's enough to just continue um, to respect him. Excuse me, and and his passing is just out of this world. I know a lot of it's just the product of like. He gets to fling these bullets on the move to wide-open shooters or guys who are just going to knock down shots anyway. But this is a guy who isn't necessarily interested in scoring, and his effort isn't going to vacillate on the defensive end or as a passer uh, no matter what. So I'm his turnover percentage has been through the roof this year, though. Uh, I've been, But that's just like, I don't know, you play the Warrior-style basketball, and you're almost willing to overlook those mistakes because you're making so many quick decisions. And the the other thing I've been really impressed with, uh, even though he's not, you know, he's not like this high volume scorer, it, as you said he's around 10 points per game for the second straight season, he's shooting over 75% inside 3 feet. That's just that's yeah. nuts to me. That's do you know what his career high mark was before 75.4? 68.7 in 2014-2015. Huh. So just This is like, a guy that I mean the the reason he was in the second round is the lack of athleticism and you know, would he be able to finish around big guys? Right. And I mean, he just, he does like a, a for someone, his, I, we say his size, but he's basically a big anyway. Like, he does a good job of just, I, I mean, like, he's going to barrel down there, but also you're going to have wide open paths to the basket when you're playing on Golden State. So, but still, he's been, he's been great. And I don't think you, uh, that, you know, three all stars from Golden State, like, that's just fine. They're still, as you said, I think they're the best team in the NBA by, despite what Houston is doing. Maybe it's a more uncomfortable margin than initially thought, but I, I still think that gap exists. Um, my All right, my final... last reserve in the West. All right. Go oh, ahead. go ahead. I think we both have the same. What, is this a wild card, I am right? going, yeah, I, I bumped him to wild card. I'm going with Clint Capella. Um, I think it's fair to say, like, any rim-rolling big man could do this if they got to play with James Harden and Chris Paul, but his his raw numbers are insane. Um, he's averaging 20 points, 16 rebounds, 2.6 blocks per 36, shooting 70% from the field. In his last five games, um, he's shooting 85% from the field. He's he's missed <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six shots in his six shots in his last five games. Um, 
and she, taking almost 10 shots a game in that stretch. So uh, it's it, he's ridiculous. I think I think his case should largely be held up by what he's doing defensively too. I think um, last time I checked, Houston was was better defensively when he's on the floor. So I I, I realize I have three Warriors and three Rockets. Um, on the team, but I, I have to reward the two teams that are just clearly the best in the league. I I have Capella too, so I just I'm, I'm obviously not going to take any issue with what you said. They're actually worse defensively with him on the floor this year by slight margin, 103.7 points per 100 possessions with him compared to 101.2 without him. But I still, you know, we're talking about a guy who 323 of his minutes and his two most used lineups include playing with Ryan Anderson, who has been targeted in isolation and is not getting destroyed. I get it. But, like, you're still playing with um, Ryan Anderson. And James Harden's in there, too. Like, James Harden hasn't been this did you, great uh, defender. Did you hear what Ryan Anderson did last night? Um, I'm not sure that I did because I'm going to say no. Um, I heard this on a different podcast. It was uh, – and I didn't see the report, but it was uh, Josh Lloyd, the Locked On Fantasy podcast said that Anderson asked to not start the second half because of how bad he was defensively. And he didn't. They, they started PJ Tucker instead of him in the second that, half against the Jazz tonight. Um, I did notice that and PJ, I noticed that he didn't start, uh, but I saw, first of all, PJ Tucker has been nuts, but the other thing, yeah. and this is totally unrelated, that Jazz like Rockets game was just completely crazy. Like the, there was like Those a million lead changes. Like, yeah, that was, that was a good game. Kudos to the Jazz. for That's a good, fight. Yeah, that's that's a good example of how good Houston is. Like Utah kept it competitive for all but those last five minutes, and and I thought in that game, like this is the first time in the last two or three years I've watched another team and thought they had like the Golden State Warriors switch, where they can just turn. Let's see. Anyway, that that uh, <laughs> adds to why I have three Warriors. I'm going to run through a list of of contenders that I left off and you tell me if there's anyone you want to spend some time on. Um, so these are snubs for me in the West. Nikola Jokic, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows how much that hurts me. Uh, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, DeAndre Jordan, Mark Gasol, Tyreek Evans, Clay Thompson, Stephen Adams, Pau Gasol, Gary Harris, and CJ McCollum. You're unco- I'm surprised you're uncomfortable leaving Mark Gasol out. Yeah, that's true. I, he probably shouldn't even be on my bubble because he's He's been almost bad this season. Uh, the only one I'd be like kind of uncomfortable leaving off would be um, Nikola Jokic is like the one that I still grappled with. Uh, I know he missed some time, but we put Steph in there who has missed some time. I also think it's great that you can mention Tyreek Evans and not be kidding because he's still been like crazy. It's crazy year. how good he's been, yeah. If I think Jokic, if you were going to pick someone, like it would be Jokic over Capella would probably be the one to get bounced. I don't know who else. Um, that's probably what I would do too. So, but that that's like really the only one. And I kind of see the argument um, like against him just because it took a while for him and Paul Millsap to figure things out offensively. Now we have to see how he's going to perform uh, back from his sprained ankle without um, Paul Millsap there and what the Nuggets defense is, is going to look like. He's, I mean, he's still been great. Like he's at 15.3 points, 10.6 rebounds, 4.4 assists. 51% shooting, 39.7% from three. And I a part of me almost regrets including Capella just because of like what Jokic actually means to the Nuggets, and he's not as dependent on um, everyone else around him offensively as Capella. It's like, in fact, the other way around. 
I just yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I don't know if he spoiled us towards the end of last episode because his numbers are just eerily similar. Um, from last I was going to say, the more we talk about this, the more I like feel like I might have made the wrong choice between these two. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I might agree. I think Capella, it's it's like that DeAndre Jordan situation where he kind of just takes you off guard. So Nicole Jokic is a snub, yeah. and we will gladly accept. You know, like we could even say screw size, and I would put him over. You had Carl Anthony Towns, and I had Paul George. I'd put him over that. Let's just run with all bigs. Throw out the all big lineup in the Western Conference. <laughs> One thing on Jokic, um, I actually just looked this up today. Over the last two seasons, Denver's 44 and 36. He's star on the team when he comes off the bench. It's just weird to me that Michael Malone is like bringing him off the bench as he like comes back from the single injury. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm doing it. I'm making the switch. Jokic for Capella. Um, I guess I could make it too. Jokic for Capella, but now I just feel like we're like. We're chopping out. Like now, we're just going back and making. <laughs> um, so, I'm gonna I'll list off my what I think are no brainers in the Eastern Conference. Um, okay. Starting guard Kyrie Irving. Um, yep. Starting forward LeBron James. Star, uh, excuse me. Starting front court. I gotta stop saying forward. The F really just F's me That's up. That's what I. Sorry, I keep not, saying sorry. that too. Um, starting front court LeBron James. Starting front court Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I have a fourth one. Starting front court Al Horford. I don't think um, there's a case against him, to be honest. And I, I, I just want to point this out. And Kyrie Irving again has been fantastic, but in the 230 minutes that Kyrie Irving has played without Al Horford, the Celtics are scoring a hundred and point. 101.6 points per possessions, allowing 109.2 points per 100 possessions, and oh are minus 7.5. Now, um, in the 222 minutes Horford has played without Irving, so we're looking at like almost identical sample sizes. Irving played 230 without Horford. Horford's played 222 without Irving. The Celtics' offensive rating is a 108.7, defensive rating of 99.8, net rating of 8.9. That's how important Al Horford That's is to the crazy. Celtics. So he's he's very comfortably a no-brainer for me, um, and that's like I don't know who if you have, I can't remember if you have all those four or if they're all no-brainers for you. Yeah, those actually would say those are all no-brainers too. Um, I switched this before the pod, and I'm going to go ahead and make him a no-brainer as well. I my entire starting five for the East is is now a no-brainer, and I'm adding Victor Oladipo. He's, to uh, that conversation He's as in well. my starting lineup as well, which is, one, I spent much of the beginning of the season saying that his breakout was just not sustainable. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I was ready for a drop-off at some point, too. But I, he's just been lights out in isolation and on pull-ups, and he's been fantastic in transition. Yeah, he's just doing literally everything. I, I think you could comfortably make an argument that he's a no-brainer, but I, I honestly, I'm not sure if we're talking enough about Kemba Walker. Overall, he would probably be the guy that uh, Walker the, and Lowry are the two that like the thing that does that Lowry wouldn't be in the starter. Cons- like, could, I mean, he could be. I wouldn't if you said Kyle Lowry starts over Victor. Like, I wouldn't throw a, a hissy fit. But um, is that he like he started off the season so freezing cold from the field and like Kemba and Oladipo have just been doing this all year. And um, but I, I think Oladipo deserves to be in the starting lineup. And right now, I think you could say all of these are no-brainers I'm just I'm very curious to see how the um, media and fan voting unfolds in in the east front court like are we just like without Horford specifically because Giannis and um, LeBron are in 
but I'm, I'm curious yeah, to see if for sure. I'm curious to see if like people get like Ben Simmons or Kristaps or Joel and be drunk or something like that. Probably there's still like a general. I don't want to maybe not negative, but certainly skeptical view of Al Horford. People still say, "Oh, he can't rebound, and you know he doesn't score enough for a guy who has that big of a contract." But I hate um, people. FYI, <laughs> it's clearly clearly a no-brainer to me. You also mentioned Kemba Walker. I have him as a reserve. Um, we've I think we've mentioned this stat <laughs> a few times on the podcast. I know I've mentioned it in the stat threads on Twitter. Charlotte's plus one twenty-four. In the ninety six or nine hundred and eighty six minutes he's played, they're minus one hundred and sixty eight in the four hundred and sixty four minutes he's been on the bench. Um, Charlotte has been a disappointing team. You you certainly cannot fault Kimball Walker for it. Um, no, you cannot. And I don't. He's just been he's been spectacular anyway. So um, he's he's right up there. And I think he 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 would be close to. The starter conversation. He's certainly um, a no-brainer reserve guard for me, um, and I don't, I don't know if that kind of like coalesces into it. I have my first two reserve uh, reserves at the guards are Kyle Lowry and Kemba Walker. I had Lowry. Um, you mentioned his struggles to start the season, but he's um, he's recovered very very nicely. I'm pulling up his numbers now as we speak. Um, his shoot, his true shooting percentage is already back up to 0.598, so almost at that magic number that I mentioned earlier. Um, his points are a little down. He's averaging 16 points, seven assists, and, and six rebounds. But I think he's still uh, clearly Toronto's best player. I'm I'm amazed that there are still a lot of people out there who go with DeRozan on that question. I, I don't think there's any question about it. Um, he is he was my first reserve guard, and th- then my other one was actually a guy that I was kind of torn on. Um, just because of the amount of time he's missed. But I, I went with John Wall. I just think the Wizards being just such a completely different team when he's on the floor and, and just the raw numbers that he puts up year after year after year, I had to give him um, consideration as well. You put him over Kemba? I have Kemba as a wild card. Unacceptable. I have John Wall as a wild card. <laughs> For the same reason, just because uh, he did miss some time. He had the PRP injection in his knee, but... The Wizards is just like they're still so dependent on him offensively. Maybe it's not fair of me, and I'm like, um, uh, the Charlotte being 11 and 19 is just such a disappointment. And like I just said, it has nothing to do with Kemba. If you just look at those on and off numbers, it's very clearly uh, problems elsewhere. But um, I was just trying to rectify as I was making up these teams, like what what sort of records do these teams have, and I, I knocked him so for that. What is the point of factoring in team success when it it doesn't like when it's not your fault that your team sucks? I'm, I'm honestly <laughs> I'm I'm just curious. Like I That's get a good question. <laughs> it's just I get I get the whole best player on like best team or really good team, which is why you celebrate the Rockets and the Warriors and why you need to have a spur, um, or something like that. But I just. I don't know. I'm just. I just look at what Kemba Walker has done. This, I mean, it's not. It's not egregious to say Wall, uh, because he's been. And it's amazing to me how dependent that the offense is still just on him. And it was. It was apparent when he was out. Like they were. The Wizards were kind of close to average when Bradley Beal was running the show statistically. But like they were. Like their bet that all bench mob that Scott Brooks kind of unearthed was like blitzing people like on offense like more so than the starting lineup. So. Uh, John Wall is a good pick. I had him as a wild card, um, and Kemba I'll also Walker's say that the reserve. Kemba's shooting has dropped off quite a bit in recent weeks. 
I haven't I actually haven't checked it in a while, so when I saw this, it kind of surprised me. But he's shooting thirty three point two percent from three. Um, I'm not sure that justifies or answers the question that you just uh, raised for me. But um, I, I mean, his, I, I don't his, know. I think it's like a coin toss between those yeah, two. Yeah, I mean, his his efficiency has dropped, but like it's just at some point it's. You know, I mean, he's clearly the still like the end all be all for that I mean, team. And his, which has so, been their problem. Um, did he come back too soon from his shoulder injury? Too is probably the other thing. It's you know he's since he came back, um, nine games shooting thirty six point six percent, twenty six point nine percent from deep. And do you know what the best part is? is that he's still like a, a plus four point four on average per game because he's still so <laughs> important to what they do. Just the mere threat of him and it's i mean it's it's rough because the hornets aren't like they're not stocked with all these other offensive weapons either and that's just going to make life on Kemba. so like you have jeremy lamb's been really good but nicholas patoom is dealing with some elbow stuff and still doesn't look right um i'm not i I think while dwight howard has been good i still think allocating post-ups to him makes your offense a little bit too predictable so i the case another thing i looked up today uh Dwight Howard is like the third best center on that team by a couple of different stats. <laughs> Kaminsky uh, and Zeller have both been better than him, at least in terms of like efficiency. But anyway, go well, ahead. Well, I mean, Kaminsky, the type of competition he's going up with against. That's, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's just, I don't, I mean, you want to make a case for Zeller. He's always been like super important to them. Um, but I, I still think it's a coin toss because Wall hasn't been particularly efficient himself. Like the offense still kind of like zings when he's on the court because he's John Wall. But I, yeah, I think he helps an offense in a different way. Like I have never looked at John Wall as a guy who's going to boost you because of his shooting. What no. what he does is like a pedal to the metal point guard that gets those kickouts, and um, I, he's just a much different type of value than Kemba is. No, that's so. I think I think it's totally fair. Um... Moving on to my front court reserve, um, I picked DeMar DeRozan, who, per cleaning the glass, has spent a lion's share of his time at small forward this year. He's just been, I think, understatedly good. The lineups that don't include uh, Kyle Lowry with him now, a lot of them are, are net pluses. Um, he's averaging, last time I checked, it was like five assists per game or something something crazy like yeah. that. So he's That's been, right where he is, yep. He's been absolutely... Um, fantastic. The knock against him is still his defense, The but the D for the starting lineup with OG Ananobi is kind of stabilized a little bit. Um, I also don't think it helps that, like, I, I'm still not a fan of the Ibaka Valanciunas front court pairing. Like, it's just it's just awkward defensively. Uh, I don't like that he still can't uh, hit threes. He's shooting them uh, more than ever, or close to more than ever. He's at uh, 2.4 per game, and he's at uh, 2.5 per 36 minutes overall, which would tie his career high. He's just, he's still, the fact that he's this spectacular of a player and doesn't have that reliable three-point stroke or even just, I, I mean, maybe this year it's different because he, he is shooting better on long twos. Um, he's at 42.2% between 16 feet and the three-point line, uh, but he's also cut out like a ton of those looks. 37% of his shots came from there last year. 18.4% are coming from there this year. He's traded in those for some three-pointers, and, and now he's getting some more looks at the rim. Um, and, and he is shooting more between 10 and 16 feet where he is hitting 50.3% of his shots. And, like, he's just money from 16 feet. And in. I, I love watching him, and he's the type of player I think I could say toward the end and even, like, 
middle parts of Kobe Bryant's career. I didn't necessarily like watching him, um, but like DeRozan is just like I, he seems a lot of what he does seems a little smoother. And I, I not, I'm not trying to knock Kobe Bryant, but DeMar DeRozan is just so don't, so smooth. Don't let Kobe Bryant fans get a hold of that. Um, he is in the Lakers Rafters now. Two of his jerseys are retired. Uh, and you, Magic, uh... Magic Johnson called him the best Laker of all time during the ceremony, which is just unequivocally not true. Polarizing, Tell me maybe. you saw uh, some of the back and forth between me and Kobe fans yesterday. I did. Um, <laughs> they are insane. Um, man, as you laid out that DeRozan case, it I, I don't have him on my uh, Eastern Conference All- All-Star team, and I kind of feel bad. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> now that you made that argument. Um, but this is like, I think this is year seven in a row, six or seven that Toronto's been like comfortably better when he's not on the floor. And obviously there's a lot to that. that comfortably. They've had really good benches. This oh, is, yeah. Like the net rating is usually like four. I haven't looked it up in a while for this year. No, but. for this year, they're still, I, I guess that's like the case again. I can't get, I sometimes can't get over that too, but like that, that gap. What is it this year? Do you have it? So they're, so when he's on the court, they're a plus 8.2 per 100 possessions. When he's off, they're oh, plus 8.7. Oh, that's a lot better than. So, yeah, and. Yeah. Oh, the other thing, their offense, like it's That's a lot better than it was the last time I checked. Yes, sure. and it's yeah. suffering when he's not on the court. They're averaging 103.9 points uh, per 100 possessions when he's off the floor. That's the lowest mark of when anyone on the floor steps off. Uh, Ananobi and Lowry are basically tied for the second lowest marks, and they're at uh, 107 and 107.1 respectively when they step off. So he's just been – I get it. It's still – it's very weird to say, but um, – you know, it's like, it's almost like that. They've just been deeper. Like, okay, so here would be my point. They're eight. They're a plus eight point four per one hundred possessions with Lowry, and then they're a plus eight point three without him. So they're just deeper this year, and I think That's that true. you can attribute that. But I do like your point is just the fact that we're still talking about for them. six or seven years. Yeah, straight it's, is, it's a long is pretty wild. I think uh, the guy that you left off that I put on, and this is going to be kind of funny coming from me because the stat we just used. Um, it does not look good for this <laughs> next player either. Um, but Andre Drummond, I, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast many times, I think. I just love big guys who can pass. And for him to suddenly be one of those guys, after there was there was almost no evidence through his first four seasons that he would ever be someone to pass the ball, suddenly he's averaging over four assists for 36 minutes. He's he's like, it's it's crazy to say this, but it's like, almost Nikola Jokic territory in terms of like his actual passing isn't as good as Jokic's, but just the, the output um, is insane to me. And then everything else is still there. Like he's averaging uh, 16 rebounds per 36, 15 points. His free throw percentage um, amazingly is still over 60. He's almost 63% from the line. Um, we, we talked about this before we started recording. It doesn't help my case for Drummond that Detroit's actually been better with him on the bench, but I, I just think overall he's he's been really really good this well, season. Like, so he was he was one of my front court reserves. That's like a team wide problem though. But the, the like Detroit, uh, we were talking about this before the podcast. That starting lineup just has not really worked for them this season. No, and when you look at it, five of their seven most used lineups are dem- are demonstrative minuses. And the the one thing I'll say though is so of those two that are positive. Not one of them includes Andre Drummond, <laughs> so it's just not um, helping me. 
Uh, yeah, and, and meanwhile, he but I again, that's like it's it's their team is just so bizarre. And Stan Van Gundy called him out the other week. Was like, I need them to play better, and. I thought Andre Drummond's defensive effort I thought was a lot better this year, and it's just, I don't know, it kind of seems like it's not as, or at least not over the past like seven or eight or ten games or so of what I've caught from them. He's still been spectacular. The passing thing is incredible to me. Um, and, and the giving I just up never could have seen that coming. Right, and I, I think that's his biggest case. Uh, it It's just it, apples and oranges with him and DeMar DeRozan. I'm, I'm going to tend to favor wings, especially when you kind of look at um, some of the other picks we have coming up. Uh, in this, but he definitely has a case. I'm not, if it came down to including him over, maybe we could talk about this afterwards, but I'm looking at who I have as my next four picks. Um, I, I don't know who I would put him over though. And that's like a legitimate, uh, I guess it's three. Cause we already talked about, I was going to say, I only have three left. Yeah. So, um, so I guess on that note, I'll move on to my next front court reserve, which is I have Ben Simmons, uh, for it would be the first rookie to make an all-star game since Blake Griffin, I don't necessarily know how you pick against him. The dude I was going to say, you like, can't leave him off at this point. He's And he's not even like, well, I shouldn't say he's not, he's just, he's just good. And his instincts are great. And he has so, so many different ways to score um, and make an impact, even though he's not a good shooter. And I, I think we should probably like point out that like, it seems only recently did his finishing just become like absurd. Like he's shooting over 73% inside three feet of the basket and he, he really just knows and how he to just like it. dunks everything it's crazy right. and I, it's a but it's you know it's I, I don't know he's he's so good the passing he's probably already what where would you rank him if you just i know this is put where'd you rank him as a passer in the nba is he's like top seven he's passer top, top five? i was i was about to say top five yeah i mean he, he's there uh he grabs a good amount of rebounds um, he's active on the defensive end, gets caught out of position a lot, but he's averaging two steals per game, and, and he's his length. It, it really just helps there. Um, the minutes without Joel Embiid, that's something I like to watch for because the Sixers haven't been great during them, but if you've given him like the opportunity to play with J.J. Redick um, during those times, the Sixers have basically been like a net wash, which is when you know how much Joel Embiid is just meant to the Sixers um, is impressive. He's... I, I think you have to pick him. And he's not having, like, an historical season relative to just rookies. Like, his stat line. Uh, yep, that's it, what it, I was going to say. Yeah, so it ta- it's just unique in general. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's been absurd. I actually ran this for uh, this morning. He's played 28 games. He has 487 points, 251 rebounds, 220 assists, and 57 steals. Um, the only other player in league history – to hit all four of those marks through the first 28 games of the season was Fat Lieber in 1988-89. And that was Fat Lieber's seventh season in the NBA. So like you said, it's not just like incredible compared to other rookies. It's like almost unprecedented compared to anyone. And then the last thing is, if you just compare those two seasons, Simmons this year and and Lieber in 88-89, through 28 games, Simmons has 25 blocks. Lieber had six through the first 28 and 88-89. So he's adding a fifth. I mean, he he literally does all five of the major county counting stats. It's it's remarkable to me. And the fact that he's one thing I thought he would struggle with. Um, I always kind of thought his first few years would be like six ten Jason Kidd. That was the comp I always went with, and and sort of included in that was the fact that I shot. I thought he'd shoot around forty percent from the field. Um, for him to be at fifty overall is just crazy to me. I didn't think he'd be anywhere near this efficient. 
it helps that the Sixers just have like viable shooters now, like with Covington oh, yeah. and Redick, and then even that Embiid, he's not shooting well from three, but he still fires away. So like those pathways are going to be open a little bit. But he's been, I don't. It's it's you, you expected maybe him to even if you okay let's say even if you expected him to run away with rookie of the year honors because he was he was this red shirt rookie and he had like the all year to kind of get his body NBA ready and was around um, the team so he kind of starts ahead of the curve it just no one you don't you don't foresee this like he's exceeded no. um, even a while and he's just he's done it without shooting threes like his uh, nine he's taken of, nine all year and yeah. eight of them are heaves. Eight. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> so it's just like it's he's taken one legitimate three point attempt all year, one. So I think yeah, I think it's pretty like well known that I am like very very much for the three point revolution, but at the same time I think it's cool what Simmons and Anadikupo are doing this year, awesome. showing that like you can. I mean, <laughs> you got to be freakishly athletic and and way too big for a point guard, but there are ways to survive without hitting threes. I'm hoping the next step for Simmons is kind of developing like a really nice floater. Because he's yeah, not – I, I looked be... the other day. He was shooting like 3 of 14 on floaters for the season, which is just not good. But that would be just a different – that's like – it's just different things to kind of uh, like negate the fact that you're not even going to try and attempt jump shots. Like he's – so less than 5% of his shots come from 16 feet or further out. It's just like – so it would be nice to have like – but it, he doesn't need it right now. And it's like you said, like the – it's nice to kind of see him in – a guy like Atentacupo dominate. And the other thing I'll say before you uh, roll out your next pick is the the kind of cool thing about the past few years where Draymond Green's been getting all these counting stats or you have Ben Simmons uh, is we get to just remember how ridiculously good that fat lever was because he always seems yeah. to like come up in all of these searches. Yeah, he's, um, I think, very, very underrated. Yeah. I'm going to make a switch. He finally had retired last... his jersey. That, was, that, yeah. that, took, that took a little while. I'm making another last-minute switch. Um I'm making Joel Embiid my sec or my last front court reserve. You mentioned what? how much better <laughs> you mentioned how much better Philly's been uh, with him on the floor. His basic numbers are crazy. Uh, let me see: twenty-four points, eleven rebounds, three and a half assists, uh, one point nine blocks. His three-point shooting is way down this season. He's down to twenty-six percent, and the turnovers are still. Um, historically high and I, I just can't, <laughs> I can't quite figure out why he's, he's so bad about he turning holds the, ball to the ball too long like in the post sometimes he and yeah he's a really I just good passer, I don't understand but... how they haven't like figured it out yet um but overall like I I've run the numbers on this a bunch of times this season when him and Covington who is actually one of my he, he's on my snubs list when him and Covington and Simmons are on the floor together that team is really really good um and I, I think, like you pointed out, I, I think the sort of king of the hill on that is, is Joel Embiid. So he's um, he's my last forward reserve. He was my wild card pick um, in part because of the turnovers and also a little bit in part um, because of the three-point shooting. It's just I, – I, what is he at? He was at 26.2%. 26. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that hasn't – but he's just – he's still he – he, he made it. He was my wild card pick. And I wouldn't – I personally would not – um, especially now that we've seen him play like that triple overtime thriller against Oklahoma City, and we saw him play like 39 minutes a couple days before that. Like I know he's a guy that you still need to rest, but like now we've seen him just play through these long games and still be really good. I'm just not. And the Sixers are still so dependent on him. And if you look, they're still not um, 
this net plus when he plays without Ben Simmons. But when Ben Simmons um, is off the court, the Sixers are uh, – it's a sample size of 102 minutes where um, Joel Embiid has played without Ben Simmons this year. And the Sixers are still just barely a net plus. And, like, you, you can't say that um, – for Ben Simmons, they're they're plus five, so it's like, it's like nothing crazy. But if you swap that, like they're a demonstrative minus when it's just um, Simmons. So I think he's still as good as Simmons has been. And I think I also should note that the Sixers have outscored their opponents by 117 points total when those two have shared the floor. But as good as Simmons has been, like Joel Embiid is still their most important player. And and the fact that he's putting up just some of these numbers and is still so important when you look at the on-off splits despite not kind of leveraging like a consistent three-point stroke he's still gonna shoot them and we've seen him hit a couple big threes this year but he's just so good so I don't really have any qualms about it um my pick though for the reserve spot uh is Chris Ops Porzingis and I'm wondering how if that pick will look crazy will it turn out that he's like missed a bunch of time because he keeps getting these different ailments and his latest has already um forced him out of two games but when you look at what he's doing in the situation that he's in, and there are just a lot of circumstances that, that are new for him, or maybe not new, but not ideal. So you don't, now all of a sudden you're the alpha option and your efficiency has actually improved compared to last season. And you're playing out of position. You're still being predominantly used as a power forward. You're not contesting as many shots at the rim as you were last year. And yet you're still probably the league's, uh, Two or one of the three, two, two or three most valuable rim protectors. I mean, twenty-five point five points per game, six point six rebounds, which is it's rather unnoteworthy for someone who's seven foot three inches. But he's also again playing power forward and having to chase around these guys who can handle the ball. That's not going to be conducive to grabbing a lot of rebounds. Uh, he's he's slashing forty-six point five, thirty-nine point five, and eighty-four point eight, which is absolutely great. Um, all of those are career highs, by the way, as like his first season as as an alpha. He's done a better job, even though the assist numbers will probably never be there. Uh, he's done a better job of passing out of double teams, and he's not a guy who turns the ball over a lot. He's recognizing when he can uh, really just shoot over players, and he has to do a better job when they, when teams rotate centers onto him. Um, he has to make quicker decisions there and know to take them off the dribble more. But one of the benefits of actually playing him at power forward is you have this guy who's 6'9", or 6'10", or even 6'11", trying to guard him. He's just going to rise and fire. And I he's been absolute... I'm not crazy about the volume with which he's kind of shooting um, from, I call it, DeMantis Sabonis range at this point. But he's at 50.4% between 10 and 16 feet, where almost 28% of his shots are coming from. And the final thing I just kind of want to emphasize is like, the, just he he he's good at protecting the ball for someone. His usage rate is almost thirty four. His turnover percentage is under ten. So it's just like I I think you can turn to him. He's a legitimate superstar, and the, and it what kind of pulls me to put him I guess over and beat a little bit um, would just be the fact that this is like kind of a new situation, even though it's his third year, and the fact that he's thriving, um, and, and that the Knicks are as of right now have a be- have a better record than the Sixers. If we want to play that card, which yeah. we won't because I don't think that'll last. Uh, but it, it would be Chris Stops for me. And I don't think – some people might actually be mad that he's not in like in the starting lineup, but like it's it's LeBron and Giannis, and I, Al Horford has to be a no-brainer. So Chris Stops is my pick here. Yeah, Porzingis is my uh, last reserve as well. Um, you you obviously don't have him as a wild card. You had him as a front-court player, right? Um, 
Yes, I had Embiid as my wild card, and that even feels I, like dirty. I could maybe put like Embiid and Porzingis and Drummond into a hat and, and pull all three out. And um, I, what I'm saying is they're like interchangeable. I, I wouldn't have a problem with Porzingis being in one of my front court spots. Um, the numbers you laid out, he's been ridiculous as a number one option. Um, over his last 12 games, he's down to 20 points, six rebounds, um, shooting 43% from the field and 38% from three, which is still he's good. down too. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy to say it that way. Um, he's he's been ridiculous this season. I I still think the lack of rebounding and um, maybe that's the one reason I'm knocking him. But like I, I'm being very very nitpicky. I, I agree with everything that you. The rebounding is probably never going to go away too. Even if he plays center, he's just never been a good rebounder. But I definitely think this season it's been kind of exacerbated by the fact. One, well, first of all, Cantor just gobbles up everything. He, yeah, he's a big time rebounder, and I. Um, I feel like I was kind of alone on this all season, and maybe some people are starting to join me, but I actually like the, the Porzingis-Cantor fit. Um, it may shock some people, but <laughs> I actually put him in my, like, towards the end of the list, but he was, like, uh, in my contenders for, like, a snub spot. Um, I mean... As I try to rationalize that. He's he's 45th in the league, so he's he's <laughs> not close, but wins over a replacement player. Um, he's been solid. My other, my, my actual snubs in terms of Eastern conference, I have Otto Porter, Robert Covington, Nikola Vucevic, Bradley Beal was one that I was actually really torn over, uh, especially with what he had to do to carry the team while wall was out. Kevin Love, I think it was a pretty big snub. Aaron Gordon, Chris Middleton felt like a pretty big snub to me as well. We talked about him a little bit before we started recording. Um, Jane, <coughs> excuse me, Jason Tatum, who uh, this is another thing we talked about. He is, um, sorry, still he's not 20... missing three pointers. Just yeah, update still that. not missing three pointers. <laughs> he's twenty fifth in the entire NBA in uh, wins over replacement player, which is just insane to me. Um, who else did I have? I, I already mentioned DeRozan, who I left off. Goran Dragic. I, I think that would pretty much round out my snubs list. The East snubs are just harder to reconcile for me than uh than the west like i think you look at kevin love is a pretty big one yeah um auto porter and covington don't bother me because they're still kind of dependent on other people offensively and porter is just not porter's a good defender but covington's a great defender so that that i guess Covington bob but he's porter's probably the better uh self-sufficient option on the offensive end aaron gordon if this was like a month ago would have made me feel uneasy. Yeah, if they if they could have been like half of what they were for the first six games, Vucevic and Gordon would have had interesting cases. Beal and I think I think Beal is the one that Beal and Kevin Love are the ones that are going to make me most uncomfortable. And I I, I want to be uncomfortable with Chris Milton because I thought he would have been an All Star this year. Uh, his slow start kind of hurts him. I don't buy into the what the defensive numbers kind of say. Uh, some of them when he's on the floor for Milwaukee, and they've just been, you know, since that Eric Bledsoe trade, they've been kind of, like, lights out anyway. Uh, his they've score, been very good, yeah. yeah. His scoring profile has, like, um, kind of upped, too. So he, those three are, like, tough. I think you could put – I don't know who you would replace, though, um, but I think there's probably – Yeah, that's the thing. There's a case to be made more so for Beal and um, Love than, than anybody else, and I'm just – I'm not sure who I'd bounce. Maybe it's Kemba. Because of his kind of recent slump, although you you know I'm bullish on Kemba's defense too, so you know I won't bump him. 
Maybe it's DeRozan, depending on like what you how you feel about the defensive end. Um, because Simmons is relying on, if we're just talking about real life, because Simmons is relying on like a reserve case, it might hurt him. Um, so yeah. maybe he would be the one. But I, again, th- those are tough ones. But I think uh, I think we hit. I think I'm comfortable with our selections. I mean, we were pretty much in lockstep. Who did you feel most comfortable leaving off, though? Leaving off or most uncomfortable? Most uncomfortable just leaving off, like from that list. Oh, yeah. Because that snubs list is pretty, like, Most uncomfortable. Illustrious. I'm with you on Beal and Love. Um, and I'm actually... Do not say canner. No, I was, <laughs> was going to say I'm higher on Middleton than it sounds like you are. Um, I mean, I'm Team Middleton, but I guess I, is, I just expected him to dominate this season. He's averaging 20 points, 5.4 rebounds, 4.5 assists. And despite the, like really bad start shooting. Um, he's up to 47% from the field and 36% from three. Really the only thing that's dragging him down stats-wise is defensive box plus minus, which, uh, as I've mentioned on here a couple times, basketball reference actually says if if the player's reputation um, tops what he's doing box defensive box plus minus-wise, you can just throw it out. Um, and I, I haven't watched Middleton – this season to know if that's like totally the case, but I've, I've watched him plenty in the past when he was like a really solid on ball defender and maybe that slipped a little bit, but his raw numbers uh, to me are, are really impressive. And uh, any awesome. three of those guys, really, I, I would not be, I know I tried to make the case for Andre Drummond and I'll, I'll still keep him here for now, but um, any of those three Beal, love and Middleton taking his spot wouldn't like crush me. Yeah, I mean, and Middleton's part of some of the Bucks' like best defensive lineups too. He's also part of some of their worst, but there's like and like he's been so good since they've had that three together. So yeah, him when you put him, Bledsoe and yeah when you put like him Bledsoe and Giannis on the court um, at the same time, the the Bucks are outscoring opponents by twelve point three points per hundred possessions. The the upshot yeah. there is though, um, and I'm wondering if Bledsoe kind of has an effect on this uh, because he's like a good defender and he's lanky. But do you just do you trust Brogdon a little bit more on that side? Because that that three man unit is coughing up one hundred and five point seven point. They need percentage. to play those two together. Just play Brogdon at the two. Um, well, they've so they've experimented with that like a little bit where you've had like all of those guys on the floor and the the defensive returns have like been not pretty aesthetically from what I've mm-hmm. seen when they've been there. And I'm actually looking it up and oh, and this is one of those times where the eye test. Aligns with the stats test. Artetokounmpo, Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Middleton have shared the court in 10 games for a total of 86 minutes. Their defensive rating, Andy, 122.1. Ooh. So, but yeah, I mean, it's... The Maybe East they don't just, need to experiment. Like, but I don't, they definitely need more minutes, but... Right. Um, you have to... I mean, that's like... That might be that, one of your best lineups one day. Yeah. So, um, I'm with... The snubs in the East made me far more uncomfortable than the ones in the West. Like, the, the only... DeRozan. I also have DeRozan out, so that that's why oh, you should feel terrible. Yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> I think that wraps us up. Um, we went through all twenty-four guys that we have going to the All-Star game. If it was up to us, and a ton of snubs too. Um, hit us up on Twitter if you think any of our calls were ridiculous or any of our snubs were ridiculous. You can find Dan at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D Bailey. The show is at Harvard Knox. Uh, the host site is at NBA underscore math or uh, NBA math.com. Uh, that's where 
Dan posts uh, all the the pages for the episodes. Um, as always, subscribe to the show, leave a review, rate us. Over the the uh, holiday weekend, I need to do a better job of this than I did at Thanksgiving. But commandeer friends and relatives' phones and uh, rate us that. on there. Um, they won't even notice because you can like steal it for two minutes and get it done and get it back before they even notice. Um, anyway, all those ratings help us. And uh, until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Bino Udri. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.